0: Hi there, I'm Andy Cave. You're listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast, where we delve into people's stories, their adventures, their partnerships, the places they love, and find out what makes them tick. Here's a taste of what's in store.
1: The minute I found climbing, that gave me what I kind of was craving. Venture, challenge, risk, brotherhood, having to deal with disability. and You know, you see folk that are a lot worse off than yourself. So you kind of just to learn to deliver, to and I think humour is a massive part of that. If you can just kind of joke about it and not take it or yourself too seriously, then it won't affect you as much. I've used a lot of stuff from my upbringing to fuel the climbing. Certainly when I was doing a lot of soloing, I was using a lot of that negativity from growing up, you know, and people's doubts and your abilities and, you know, I kind of felt as if I had something to prove for a long time. So I think if you've got something that's negative in your life, you can use that as fuel for the fire to, to know, keep you going. Our guest in this episode is
0: Kev Shields. Kev claims that discovering climbing changed his life. Brought up in a tough town south of Glasgow, Kev now lives with his family in Kinloch Leven, where the mountains of Glencoe and Ben Nevis are literally on his doorstep. We chat about rock climbing and ice climbing at a very high standard with only one fully formed hand. We chat about attitudes to disabled people, and whether he thinks they have changed that much at all. We discuss what drives him, what it's like climbing with a disability, and how do you cope with the inevitable tough times. Kev is straight-talking, he's candid, he's got a wry sense of humour. This is going to be a terrific episode with someone who knows all about overcoming adversity. Kev, great to see you. You're based where in Scotland?
1: Uh, in kinloch leaving just south of Fort William. So you're right in the heart of the mountains there. Yeah, that's well. That's why I moved here, yeah, just to, just to be in it as much as possible.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I remember as a whew, 17-year-old, never been to any mountains before in my life, and sort of driving up from Yorkshire, I think we had a car crash on the way, and then by the time we got there, the sun was coming up, and seeing the buckle for the first time, and I was
1: like, shit, that is a proper mountain. I was 14, 15 maybe the first time I saw the bookle and that exact same thought just like wow how do people even get up that thing there you know it's just mind blown. so Kev but you're not it's, it's not where you hail from is it you, you, you were brought, brought up in a different part of Scotland whereabouts yeah I was, I was brought up in Ayrshire which is like half an hour south of Glasgow it is definitely not, not the tourist area that uh, you know Glencoe and the Highlands is that's for sure so what goes on there? I mean, is it, is it, was it an industrial place back in the day? Or? Yeah, so, I mean, they had their share of mining, you know, back in like back in the day, I suppose, that was happening there. And then there's, I'm trying to think, there's a chemical plant in the town, there's a nuclear power station over the hill. What are the kind of usual lovely things that you would expect? It, um,
0: it sounds like the place I was brought up in some ways, but, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, what was it like being brought up there? I was just thinking about the school.
1: So probably quite a tough, tough environment in some ways. Yeah, definitely quite a quite a rough area, I suppose. I mean, my like my mum and dad were, you know, like they're really nice people. They're no, they're not rough in any way. But I mean, my dad, like he was brought up in Greenock, there was a lot of gang fighting and stuff, you know, back then. Right. Like quite a rough area. I guess Dorai wasn't. To dissimilar, certainly plenty of fighting, there's sectarianism there.
0: Yeah, I mean, I was, I was just thinking about. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're well known for your fantastic achievements in climbing, by any stretch. But and then obviously with your hand, only having one proper hand, and being, I was just thinking, what was that like being, you know, brought up in a place like that?
1: Yes, yeah, I mean, I certainly had my share of bullying, you know, because of my hand, and plenty of fighting because of that, mainly in primary school. Secondary school wasn't too bad. The primary school there was certainly a lot of fighting because of that. Uh, like, even a couple of the teachers, you know, weren't exactly the nicest people to deal with back then. So I was getting like, bullied from basically the teachers and the pupils on a fairly regular basis. So, yeah, school was not my favourite time. And, and, I mean, you know, attitudes are moving, but... So for you
0: mentors, I was wanted to think about that along the way, anybody that inspired you I mean how did you get into climbing because obviously that was a bit of a life changing thing for you
1: Yes, I mean I guess I had a kind of traditional apprenticeship I suppose the same way most people do it here, like my dad started my hill walking in the local moors and that was the kind of, that was the take for me and then I went from there to going into the mountains with one of my dad's friends and then, you know, that was more like just big hill walking, I suppose. And then we went to the Bucco for the first time and did Curve Ridge. And that was that was the real game changer for me. It was was going and doing that. And that opened my eyes to to scrambling and then into rock climbing.
0: Fantastic. So you you pretty straight away you felt like
1: you'd found your thing. But instantly, yep. Yeah, I mean I, I was speaking to somebody about this the other week there and I'd said, you know, what? I I always wanted to join the army. That was my dream. Like All my life was to join the army, and it it just wasn't happening because of my hand, and then later on, becoming epileptic. So, you know, the minute I found climbing, that gave me what I kind of was craving for the army. You know, there was adventure, challenge, risk, brotherhood, all the the kind of stuff that you would find, you know, the travel maybe as well. Yeah, yep. Bye.
0: So, I mean, obviously, a big change for you was having that prosthetic that you talk about and some of the films which opened the window suddenly to ice climbing. What was that
1: like? So I, I remember the first time, like getting the prosthetic, you know, I mean, it took a while to develop something that would, that would work. And then going to Taiso in Glasgow, had a small indoor ice wall just for people to try kit at that time and going there. And it was just like, wow. You know, it's like the first time I'd used Two hands really the same as anybody else would do. Yep. And that in itself was a complete novelty for me. It's just like it's just basically to the kind of untrained eye, I suppose it's a a lump of plastic bolted to an ice axe, but it completely changed my life. Wonderful.
0: Yeah. And was I mean, was that the first time anybody had used something like that? Were you kind of a so, in a
1: way? Pretty much round about the same time, I think. Uh Jamie Andrew was getting his prosthetics developed so we were both right. you know kind of, an, an equal footing I suppose at that point uh, in developing them but he was on the east coast doing that and I was here in the west coast. Did you
0: ever
1: talk with, with Jamie at all? Ever met with him? And yeah with yeah them? I've met up with Jamie quite a few times but the, the first time we met up I went through to Edinburgh to meet him and he said you know bring your prosthetics with you and we'll just going kind to of compare notes and See if there's any different ideas. So, we just met up in like a cafe in the city centre of Edinburgh. And both of us are sitting there, and like, you can hardly build a decent limb between us, you know. And we're like Brilliant. bringing out these like really dangerous looking weapons and sitting them on the table in the cafe. And the waitress's face was a picture. <laughs> she turned up to take the order. I can imagine. And I know you've competed, you've done stuff at a really kind
0: of high level. But I wanted to, you know, there might be people listening to this that have never actually been winter climbing. And I was trying to sort of get you to give us a glimpse of where it's like to go and do a big route on the bend. Because, I mean, I know for a lot of people, Ben Nevis, okay, it's the highest mountain in in, in Britain. Um, it's only like 4,000 feet high. A lot of people in Europe or the Alps might think, well, that, that, that seems a bit small. And most people, if they go up Ben Nevis, go up the tourist path, they don't yeah. really see the north face. I mean, it's massive, isn't it? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. And what was it like the first time you went up there and did your first route with your prosthetic?
1: Uh, so I, I just remember, like the walking up the old the path uh, is just like horrendous. I mean, you remember that what it used to be like the walk into Ben Nevis, it was horrendous.
0: Like the song. I uh, <laughs> <laughs> imagine wasn't like the song, but something like that. That's what the picture I
1: have in my mind. So like walking in and then you know getting to it and seeing. Like, once you get up to the hut and you get that proper look at, you know, the north face, you're properly, like, you're in there at that point, you're getting involved and just being totally, like, awestruck just by the scale, you know, in the north face of the bend. It's just a really special place, especially for climbers, you know. And like you say, most people walk up the tourist path and they've got no idea of what they're standing above absolutely no idea that that bit of the mountain exists. If you were to show them a picture they would have no idea that it was the same place that they walked up with their sandals
0: on. Each curry, you know, each section of the mountain, it's just so big, isn't it? And every time I go there I sort of think, wow, I've never even seen that bit before. Huge faces. And you've got to get off the mountain, the descent. I mean, the day you went up there, did you have a good, was it good weather? What sort of a day was it when you, you the, first
1: came up there? I was quite lucky it wasn't it wasn't a bad day. It was quite overcast, but you could still see, you know, clearly the entire north face. And we climbed uh, Good Friday Climb was the first route I did up there using the prosthetic. There's like a the couple of small steeper sections on it. And I remember that being like, wow, this is the real deal for me. You know, this is it was just absolutely magical
0: I think, it's, I mean, it's
1: really exposed as well, isn't it? There's a bit of a traverse
0: on it, and the ground's falling yeah. off. It's, it's it, you know, to people who are listening. I mean, it's a, it's a big route on a big mountain, really. And I think that's when visitors come over. I don't know if you've ever been involved in the international meets. No, no. But you get people
1: that come over, and they are really blown away. Uh, with, yeah, I mean, like you know yourself, if you're up there in like late January, February maybe March as well, depending on how the season's been, there's always people from Europe, you know, coming to visit and climb there, particularly French teams. You meet French teams up there regularly climbing.
0: That's right. I mean, I heard that at, at one point they were sending over some of the aspirant uh, guides from Chamonix to Scotland because it teaches them uh, how to look after themselves, you know, in, in really bad weather, which is it sounds quite ironic, really, coming from Chamonix yeah. to then, but... You know, it's um no, it's, it's it's a special place. I was thinking about rock as well because you've you've done a lot of impressive rock climbs, and I, I get the impression Glen Nevis is is a place that's very special
1: to you. Oh yeah, definitely. I I mean, I spent so much time there because when I moved up here at first, I was staying in Fort William and working in Nevisport just like part time, just basically enough to get by, and then you know every time it was decent weather, I was straight out up Glen Nevis, just climbing as much as I possibly could. So I've got like a real, I feel like a real, I suppose, a connection to Glen Nevis because it's where I really started pushing my, my climbing grades.
0: Yeah. And I was thinking about, I mean, when you're ice climbing and the remarkably stuff you've done there with your prosthetic, but obviously rock climbing, you haven't got that. You know, you, you you're having to climb things. I would imagine in a very different way. I know a, a, a mentor of yours, a friend is is Dave Mcleod, who's sort of top guy and you know very supportive guy. But I would imagine you know how he does a route, you does a route, completely different.
1: I didn't remember doing a new route like well, be a good five years ago or something now. And Dave was trying. It. He he went on it after me one day. We were just up there looking at other routes. And he was just having a go on it, just to have a look. And one of the moves in particular, you know, he was just trying to figure out how I had managed to to hold it, but I had to I had to basically roll the skin on my my bad hand to like tighten enough on this like sloper to then allow me to move through to the next move. So yeah, you're always trying to find different ways of doing things.
0: Yeah, and I would imagine you you sense of balance and strength in the rest of your body has got to be spot on.
1: Yes. I, I tend to veer towards doing more slabby routes. Yeah. So that it's, it's almost as much a head game as, as you know, your kind of technical ability. So yeah. I, I do have to be good on my feet and my balance just have to be good. And I have to move my body, I suppose, in different ways than, you know, almost every other climber would do. But I really enjoy that, that challenge, that process of having to, figure out my own way of doing it you know I could I could watch Dave or whoever I'm climbing with all day long but it'll make a difference but not a huge difference to how I'll eventually climb the route Plus, yeah. watching Dave he makes everything look easy pretty much you know so uh, yeah yeah I think that's the case for anybody probably climbing with Dave to be fair <laughs>
0: <laughs> just to be clear because there might be people listening who've never been to Glenibbys it is so beautiful and I mean sometimes you get those times a year where you could be winter climbing on the bend yeah. you know, one day, and then you could go around in springtime and, and, and then rock climb in, in the Glen there. Beautiful.
1: Yeah. And it's all trad climbing. Oh, no, it's not all trad climbing. There is some sport climbing. And really hard sport climbing as well, you know. So, I mean, it, it, Glen Nevis really does have everything. If you're interested in rock climbing, it's definitely one of the places to go.
0: Yeah, so obviously I wanted to touch a little bit on you Your accident, because I mean, was that in Glen Nevis as well, where you where the ice? Yeah, that
1: was Glen Nevis as well. I mean,
0: you know, we talked about obviously uh, the big challenge you've overcome, and then you've got that, which is another one. Um, And I just wanted to know, like, you know, how have you dealt with that? Because it's it's been going on for a while, and I think is it settled down? Is it sort of get? Are you getting anywhere with your
1: ankle injury? So I had this accident where I fell and trying a new ice route back in it was January 2010. You know, it was in a, a phenomenal, almost once in a lifetime winter. So I tried this ice route in Glen Nevis and it started to melt while I was on it. And I knew if I pulled it onto this cotton that the chances were the cotton would go, then I would go with it. So I went to back off, my gear ripped, I fell, hit the deck and basically it turns out I smashed my tailus bone to pieces, but it didn't show up in, like, any x-rays at the time. Right. So, yeah, I've had, like, five surgeries since then. I've had a fusion operation, and I've had my ankle re-broken, and so, yeah, I've had a lot of work done on it. it. Still, it causes a lot of pain. My knees have started to suffer because of it. I've got arthritis there. My hips are going. But you know yourself, when you get injured, you just kind of, you just figure out a different way, but I mean, it's not even an injury anymore. It's 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 gonna been going on too long to just be an injury now. But yeah, I started like hell running again uh, when lockdown started. So it's just figuring out how to run really. That's amazing. So you are actually getting out running,
0: yeah, and that's got to be great for mental health. Just getting out in these times, you know.
1: Yeah, massively. Just basically anything to get me out of doing the homeschooling, you know. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, no, no chance of taking up golf just yet, then, Okay. Yeah, That's not going to happen anytime soon. No. <laughs> I,
0: I, I'm glad to hear it. And I saw that in that in the movie that you, uh, the brilliant movie that, that people should watch. Uh, what, what's is it? What's the title of the movie again? Uh,
1: we need to talk about, Cave.
0: Yeah, fantastic film. I, I urge everybody to watch that. But at one point, you well, there's two funny bits in that where you're in the hospital with Dave McLeod and there's lots of banter when you've still got your crampon on and then later <laughs> the other bit where they take out the metal work in your ankle. I mean, that is a serious bit of metal, isn't it? And you make that line, yeah. you know, that you say that's better than a lot of the protection I use on the roots, which is, a which is, so you've obviously humour. Do you feel like that's helped you get through some of these tough times as well?
1: Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the kind of upbringing that I had, you know, and having to deal with disability and, you know, you see folk that are a lot worse off than yourself. So you kind of just to learn to, to live it. And I think humour is a massive part of that. If you can just kind of joke about it and not take it or yourself too seriously, then it won't affect you as much. That's my kind of take on... And is there anything...
0: No, really well said. Is, is there anything from, you know, you've obviously... You must have had some amazing um, mental strategies uh, to deal with the bold climbing over the years? And is there anything from that that helps you deal with
1: these challenges or is it a different thing? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. that's a really, really interesting question. I think, again, probably from – I've used a lot of stuff from my upbringing to fuel the climbing. Certainly when I was doing a lot of soloing, I was using a lot of that negativity from growing up, you know, in people's doubts and your abilities and, you know, not being allowed to do jobs that you weren't allowed to do. There was definitely an element of, you know, I kind of felt as if I had something to prove for a long time. Absolutely. I used all that anger that I'd had for years and years and years to then fuel the soloing. So I was actually making, you know, something quite positive for me out of what something that could have been chewing me up for a long time. So I think if you've got something that's negative in your life, and that's not something I'm encouraging people to go out and get. Sure. But if you've got something negative, you can you can use that as fuel for the fire to to know keep you going. Like tougher situations, I suppose.
0: Yeah, no, absolutely. And do you think I mean in your lifetime, um how old are you, Kev, by the way? Are, 42, you, are you you're a baby really compared to me? <laughs> <laughs> but um I was just thinking. In your lifetime, do you think attitudes to, 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 towards disability and, and, and sort of that thing of sort of pigeonholing people has it changed really?
1: Or what do you think? I think people like to think it's changed, but in reality, I, I don't think it has. People like to, to sugarcoat it, and you know, there's all like if you go for jobs now, they basically have to, if you state that you're disabled you have to get an interview. Yeah. But they can just tick a box by doing that. You know, they can say they've interviewed you. You're never going to get that job. Right. I think that kind of thing. People still doubt what I can do in climbing. Like I was speaking to a really famous climber just last year and I told him, you know, like I climbed a lot of things that that I've wanted to do but EA is the next thing, you know, that I really want to focus on and I've been training for that and, you know, to try and get myself ready to do that kind of thing. And his immediate reaction was, oh, EA, that's a, that's a whole different level. I don't know if you will manage to do that. You know, and for me, that's like, that's exactly the stuff I'm talking about. I almost need that. It's like, oh, brilliant. Just keep giving me your doubt. Give me your negativity because <laughs> I'll soak that up and I'll use that. Brilliant.
0: That's your fuel. And just to pause there for a moment, Kev, because there might be people listening who are not necessarily climbers. Uh, that don't necessarily trad climb. You just mentioned e uh, EA. Just to, just for clarification purposes, this is a very high level. You know, EA is you're talking a, It's a select few. Lots of people. So to have those ambitions, considering everything you've been through, is just. I mean, it's inspirational, really. And I, I just wondered, have you met? people along the way have also had disabilities other climbers and you sort of bounce off each other encouragement or do you feel like you're there's not that many
1: people around not i've not really dealt with that many people with disabilities to be honest i always for me like at one point i did consider you know the para climbing competitions and doing stuff like that but when i was competing i was always competing against the able-bodied folk right so i feel now that if i was to go and do that and it's I don't mean this in any derogatory way at all to what the para teams do. It's brilliant. But for me, that would be a step backwards to do that. I'm always pushing to try and be, you know, up there next to everybody else. I don't want to just be in that, oh, he's a disabled climber. And I said, don't get me wrong. I use that as a hook sometimes because it helps, you know, we can have various bits and pieces. I can actually use it to my advantage. But yeah. When it comes to actual climbing I want to be out there trying to, to be the same as everybody else.
0: Absolutely. And I, I I'm just thinking obviously you're a, a family man these days as well. That's a, a bit of a change. So
1: oh yeah right yep so I've got a two year old daughter now and what's she called Cora. Lovely. Nice yeah, she's brilliant. But I mean for climbing like when she came along at first I thought you know how's it going to affect my climbing? But I've got this way of thinking now that if I can achieve EA and do that, that's something that that I'll be very like proud of managing. But I want to leave like a kind of legacy for for her and my two stepsons as well. That you know, they can see I didn't just get to a point and think, all right, I'm sore now, you know, for injuries or whatever. I'm just gonna quit that I want to try and keep on improving as much as I possibly can. And that's that's definitely the kind of the legacy that I want to leave for them to try and follow on. And I love being a dad. It's magic, absolutely magic. So they're showing. I, I, are they showing any
0: any promise? The kids. I, I saw they a shot of uh, Cora on a rope. Uh, yeah, so she's obviously done a bit. Yeah, of rock climbing. Yeah, she,
1: she, she was on a rope in a harness before she was two. right? <laughs> I and mean, she loves. She just loves climbing. Everything, anything she can get on. And my the two stepsons, you know, they go climbing as well. We go mountain biking, we go kayaking, running, everything.
0: You're in a paradise there, aren't you? And, you, and your, your partner, what's her
1: name? Kat, yep, she's exactly the same. Loves climbing, running, biking. I mean, it, this place is basically just a holiday park that we live in, and everything is literally on the doorstep. The back door of the house here, we walk out here, and there's just nothing, absolutely nothing, for you know hundreds of square miles it's the real deal, isn't it?
0: I mean, it, it really, really is. is.
1: I, I, I don't even know if I can describe how much I love living here. It's a,
0: it's a, it's a, it's a beautiful place, and obviously the seasons are changing. Do you have a favourite season, or I'll tell you what, I'll
1: give you two. I mean, or two times of the year. For me, it's definitely going to be spring, for the trad climbing, peak conditions. Everything's. I love the the kind of balance in seasons at that point, you know, because you'll still get snow a high on the mountains, but you've got the longer days and life starting to come back to the glens again. You can see a bit of greenery coming through. There's that brilliant mix. You know, that you can hear the birds, you know, the smells, everything. It's just it's absolutely magical. And then on the, the, the other end of the, the scale, I suppose you've got winter. I mean, it's properly brutal as well up here. You know yourself, Scottish winter can be hard, like really, really hard, but it can also be Like today, you know, it's blue skies, snow in the hills. It's absolutely stunning. Wonderful.
0: Well, I'm hoping, Kev, that by the time spring comes, I'm I'm allowed out of my village. (laughs) 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 I mean, I like Stanage, don't get me wrong, but, uh, you know, I'm not complaining, but desperate to get up to Scotland. I mean, it's weird, isn't it, that in the last, it's getting on for almost 12 months now, I think I've been to the lakes twice. I mean, right. I mean, you know, um, but, you know, good on you. Make the most of it. And it, it must feel quiet in the hills right now,
1: obviously. Yeah, I mean, like, don't get up round about here. I, we don't meet that many people in the mammals. And I've not been on Ben Nevis or anything. You know, I've not been to any of the really no, busy places no. since yeah, yeah lockdown at all. We just stick to the local hills. Yeah, yeah. and I've, I've never seen a soul apart from, I was out last week on Ben Nakeilich. And I could see two small dots over in Staban. And that's the only people I've seen pretty much since lockdown on the hills. Brilliant.
0: I mean, I still, it's funny, you know, I mean, God, it's a long time ago. My first trip up when I saw the buckle all those years ago, 1983. But I still, when I drive from Glasgow along the road, I still get excited. You know, it's funny. Heartbeat gets going. And it's just after all these years, uh, you know, it's just
1: such a beautiful part of the world. Yeah, it's the same for me. Like even if I'm down visiting family in Ayrshire, you know, and we're heading back home again to come here. And you come round that corner in Ranachmoor and the bucco comes into view. It's just like that's me, I'm home. You know, you can feel it that you're back back in the highlands proper. Then brilliant.
0: Kev, listen, it's been brilliant to chat, but I've just got a couple of more sort of random questions. So I'm going to do this with everybody. But so imagine you're trapped in a storm for a couple of weeks. Um mm-hmm. You know, I don't know what your favourite would be to be in a snow hole or, or a tent. Any any preference?
1: Probably going to be a snow hole, thing, guy. Uh, if it's going to be a couple of weeks.
0: <laughs> and any favourite food that you'd want to have? If you could have just one meal, but as many times as you like, what, what would that be? In oh,
1: there? Probably a good, like, Scottish breakfast, you know, tight tarty egg, bacon. Oh, yeah, that would keep you going in that snow hole. That'd be yeah. awesome. One luxury
0: item. What would, you know, you can take one thing with you in there. What would it be?
1: I was going to say Nicole Scherzinger, but my girlfriend might listen to this, so I better watch what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> hey, luxury item. If I can get my radio reception up there, yeah, just take a radio, just so I get some music to, to listen to as well.
0: Brilliant radio. That sounds good. Excellent. Deep fat fried Mars bars. Are they actually a thing up there? Do people eat those?
1: They're actually, they're actually a thing, but I think mostly for like dafty tourists that think that's like proper Scottish food you know
0: (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah yeah I understand
1: that totally people people that probably believe haggis are like real animals that have got one leg shorter than the other that run round the hills you know (laughs) cheers Kev it's been an absolute pleasure to chat with
0: you really uh, appreciate your time Um,
1: it's been really good to see you again Andy
0: all the best and um, yeah maybe next time I'm up we can grab a beer
1: definitely just give me a shout anytime you're up man it'd be great to see you (laughs) Thank you
0: for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I've been your host, Andy Cave, and you've been listening to the Rab Mountain People podcast. To keep up to date and to hear more interviews like this, don't forget to subscribe. And I look forward to bringing you more stories and interviews very soon.